This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest today is Christoph Srebrakowski, the organist for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, Christoph, did I butcher your name too bad? No, you said it perfectly. Well. Yeah, don't lie to me. I'm a deacon. No, you I'm... lie. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and when did you start working with, well, organs and pianos and other instruments? Well, I came from Central Europe. I settled down in Orlando area, very close to Disney, in 1996. But before that, I grew up in southwestern part of Poland. When you look at the map, it's halfway between Prague and Berlin, uh, where I was born. The name of the city is Rari. The old German name is Sorau. It's about an hour and a half drive to Berlin, about two hours drive to Prague. So Christoph, I've only been here in the United States, and I feel like we just don't have a big picture of history like you do from Europe. So talk a little bit about the history in Europe versus coming here to the U.S. Big difference, right? It's a huge difference because we grew up with that history. We've been surrounded by that history. And that's, it's about everything, uh, starting with location, the architecture around you, different buildings coming from different times in the history, from medieval times, from Renaissance, Baroque, and then modernism and everything in between. Our history here in the States is, if we have a building that's 200 years old, that's a big deal. Not so much where you're from. Well, yes, because you have to remember that the United States have been created by people that came from all over the world here to live and to find new ways of life, which is wonderful too. And it's a, it's a short history, as we all know. So when the pilgrims came first, even when Christopher Columbus discovered American continent for us, for the Europeans to explore in the future, that was 1490s. Europe was already established. My town where I was born was already functioning little city with a castle, with inhabitants, with local politics and everything, already for several centuries before. You play the grand organ at the Amelie Arena for all of the Lightning fans, but what else do you play? Our Lightning organ is the largest electronic theater organ in the world, currently installed, built by Walker Technical, the company from Pennsylvania. I started when I was about five years old, my parents discovered that I had aptitude for music. I started at the local church. It was a Catholic church uh, in Jari. So I showed some kind of musical interest and I just wanted to learn how to play a lot. So my parents bought the piano. For me, I, I started piano lessons when I was five. And when I was about six or seven years old, I tried the organ at the local church as well. And of course, I couldn't reach the pedals yet because <laughs> I had to wait until my teenage years to finally be able to, to do that. But the interesting thing about where I grew up was there were a lot of places with live music. So we had, my interest was organ, piano, keyboard instruments in general. And especially I loved organ because I could imitate different instruments. That was wonderful. I was always kind of attracted to the color of different instruments. So I was going from different churches, from Catholic church to Presbyterian church. We had the Protestant church. 
We had another Catholic church. We had the military church that was for the military base. So there were like five or six different places where I could try different instruments. And it was fascinating. So is it safe to say that the organ is your favorite instrument? It's one of my favorite instruments, yes. Right now I'm doing organ and piano equally, but I compose for orchestra. So my thinking, even though I don't physically know how to play those instruments, I know about the technique of playing string instruments, woodwinds, brass, percussive instruments, and so on. The Amalie Arena organ imitates all instruments with incredible precision and perfection. As a kid growing up, were you a hockey fan? Did you ever think that you would one day be entertaining thousands of people every day like you do today? That is a good question. Hockey was always big because I grew up close to Czech Republic. And hockey is big in Czech, as you know. We have a lot of Czech players in, uh, in the NHL. And I didn't know about the existence of organ music during the hockey games. Because in Europe, it wasn't like that. We didn't have organists playing during the hockey games. But as you know, the tradition came from Canada. And I remember it was in 1988. As a student, I was watching the Olympic Games from Calgary, Canada. And they had organists cheering the crowd during the hockey games. And I was like, wow, this is so cool, so incredible. Not knowing that in the future I will be the NHL organist myself. How did that even happen? Did you just get a blind phone call one day from the lightning? No. As you know, musicians are networking. We kind of know each other, musicians that live in the area, like in Central Florida. That's Orlando, that's Jacksonville, Tampa Bay area, and also musicians from Miami. And a friend of mine who plays violin with Orlando Philharmonics contacted me, hey, Christoph, they are looking for the organist to play during the hockey games in Tampa. That was 10 years ago, believe it or not. So I've been a Tampa Bay Lightning organist for the last 10 seasons. They auditioned a bunch of people and I was the one that they actually, they like and I fit because I can play all styles of music, including pop, jazz, rock, classical, orchestral, and then of course the game music. You are also able to introduce some of your own compositions into a game. Yes, but that came later. Actually, I had a great training before I became Tampa Bay Lightning organist, coming from being a Disney musician. I performed at Walt Disney World since 1996 with a variety of bands as a soloist during solo piano and also at the Wedding Pavilion. And Disney Wedding Pavilion, that's the place that I got my training for playing organ instrument in different ways. Because people who get married at Disney... They didn't want to hear organ music. They wanted to hear more like film music, strings, piano. So all of a sudden, all the organists who play at Disney, we faced a challenge to basically design a new style of performing the organ instrument to adapt to performing like in the Disney, in the movie style. So that was something that we developed over the years. And I used that skill, and I'm using to this day, to entertain during the hockey games. So we are actually at the Amelie Arena right now. You are just a couple of hours away from a game. As of this recording, the Tampa Bay Lightning are heading towards the playoffs, which is yes. a beautiful thing. Now, can you tell us what is a typical game day like for you? What kind of prep do you have to do? How early do you have to arrive here at the Amelie? As we spoke before, because you uh, walked 
through the building with me. I, I showed you uh, the stuff. Uh, you noticed a lot of people working here in the building throughout the day and also overnight and everything. So we have, in addition to the games, we have also concerts at the Amali Arena. We have special events. And also when there is no event and everything, this is uh, the time for maintenance of the building, which requires a lot of, as you can imagine, building of this size. I usually come early, like around two o'clock or even earlier. Depends. Sometimes I come early, like even in the morning to practice for myself. So I put uh, my headphones on and I don't use the speakers because there are people working in the arena. So I would disturb them. They want to have silence during their work. But I can practice on the headphones. Typically, we have to rehearse all elements before the game. So the, our rehearsals start around three o'clock, sometimes four o'clock, and we run through all commercials or infomercials, and then we prepare our blackout spot where we have the pre-game show. So all elements, video, videos, they have to check all spellings, they have to make sure that the audio is playing correctly, that everything fits, lighting, and everything. So it's a lot of elements to coordinate during the game. So, but yeah, I usually come early to warm up, to practice myself and to decide which piece I'm going to play in particular evening. My wife and I are gigantic Lightning fans. So we've been to quite a few games this season. And one of the things that I've noticed is everything seems so flawless when it comes to your playing and all of the different commercials and whatnot that are aired during the games. Have there ever been times, though, where you went to play the organ or a commercial was supposed to air and it just flopped? Have you ever had any technical issues like that? Not really, because we perfect everything. We always make sure that everything works and even... If there is like a little glitch or something, this is something that nobody would ever notice because we have backup systems. And throughout the game, we communicate on the headphones. The game production team, the DJ, the lighting crew, and the media, we all communicate via telecom on the headphones with the microphones. So they give me the signal, Christoph, you're next at the next whistle. And I don't know when the whistle is going to be or if there is a penalty then I play Phantom of the Opera or something to indicate that, that moment. So this is a good thing because every game is completely different. The flow of each game has nothing to do with the previous game. So of course we have elements of the game that are kind of constant, but we never know when we are going to have them. Because sometimes the hockey players, they play for three or four minutes with no whistle. There is clean game and everything. And we are scratching our heads. Oh my goodness, we have to accommodate time for this or this or this. We want to air this commercial, this, you know, talk about the community heroes or something like this. And there is no break. But then eventually they come because, you know, it's a, it's a very fast paced game that requires certain breaks. Can you talk a little bit about the organ at the Amelie? It's got a lot of manuals, keyboards, and a whole lot of speakers and sound. So you had mentioned before, it's one of the largest theater the, organ. The largest electronic theater organ in the world. Yes, it is. How many stops? How many speakers? How many manuals? In terms of stops, stops are types of sound for those listeners who don't know what the stops mean. Types of sound, if it's going to be clarinet or flute or string or piano. We have the whole entire array of instruments and then organ sounds, the classical organ sounds, the theater organ sounds. So it goes probably within thousands 
of sounds that we can do, including all synthesizers and everything, the electronic things, which, which are extensive. Beyond that, you even have drums. Yes, full drums and orchestral drums, timpani, snare, kick, hand clap, hi-hat, all sorts of cymbals, everything. I mean, all, all instruments. So I have five keyboards in front of me and pedal, two and a half octaves of pedal keyboard with all the stops and everything, all buttons you can possibly imagine. And there are two buttons and one pedal that are unique to our organ. They generate thunders. So all those big thunders that you hear during the game come actually from the organ. I did not know that. I always assumed that was just a sound effect. No, it wasn't. It is a sound effect. But from the organ. Yes. And if you listen carefully to those sounds, they are so authentic because they have been recorded by the team that manufactured organ here in Florida. So one of the summers they came with the recording crew, with uh, recording equipment. They actually positioned themselves somewhere out in the wilderness. And during the storm season, July, August, they recorded the actual thunder strikes. So right now, utilizing the round robin technology, meaning when I press the button, one of the samples comes out and which one, I never know. The computer chooses which sound to generate. So they isolate like, I think, 35, 36 sounds of different thunder strikes that were recorded with the decay sound and everything, the whole entire strike from the uh, onset to the end of the strike. So they are actually the authentic thunder strikes of the thunderstorm in the storm season in Central Florida. That is a job I would not want. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Deacon might go out and record the thunder. No, 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 I don't think so. So we're talking here with Christoph Srebikowski. Did I get it? Yes, you did perfectly well. So you play 41 games for a regular season here at the Amelie, and then, of course, the Lightning make the playoffs. But what do you do the rest of the year, say, over the summer? Typically, what do you do? In addition to being the Tampa Bay Lightning organist, I'm a freelancing musician. I play with a variety of bands with several symphony orchestras as a pianist, keyboard player. And um, I work at Disney regularly. I play special events, corporate events, conventions, concerts, recitals, and I compose a lot of music. So you don't take the summer off and just put your feet up. You just keep working. Yes, working. But lots of it is also taking time off from work and doing other things. Now, I know you are a supporter of the Cancer Foundation. Can you tell us how and why you got involved in that charity? You know, it's a personal thing because both of my parents died cancer. My father's brother got cancer too, died uh, even before my father did. So I have the special thing. And right now, currently, my best friend's wife is in the cancer facility to treat her with uh, some kind of experimental procedure in Arizona. So she is doing, it's not a chemotherapy, it's a, some other kind of uh, treatment. So I, I strongly support the cause and I strongly feel that we need to dedicate as much resources as we possibly can to develop cures for this terrible disease. 
As somebody who plays for different Christian denominations, are you ever sitting at the organ and you kind of space out for a second and you forget where you are? Because different Christian churches have different types of services. Yes, they do. And currently, I've been working for the last two years as an organist at First Baptist downtown Orlando. But I occasionally play also at First Baptist, which is a different church, also in Orlando. I played several times at the Catholic Church. I did Anglican Church for several years. I played at the Presbyterian Church, and I'm a Christian in the faith. And that actually started out in my childhood, because as we spoke in my town where I grew up, there were like five or six different denominations, churches. So in Europe, especially like in Poland, close to Germany and Czech Republic, that is kind of typical to have different denominations in one city as you grow up. It was like a natural thing for me to encompass all faiths within Christianity. Do you ever compose music for Christian services? Well, I recorded my holiday album and I arranged a lot of music for different singers. But as far as uh, composition with lyrics, I think we have such a wealth of music that has been already composed. And I never really had the privilege to be in the church that would demand this kind of service. So maybe if people that compose Christian music, this is more like Nashville style or California, where the creative people are located, and of course the publishing companies and everything. You mentioned that you have a holiday album. Is the Christmas season your busiest time of year? Yes and no, but in, during the Christmas holiday time, I, I don't really have days off because, as you know, everybody's celebrating and somebody has to work too um, for that. So musicians are typically working and I play a lot of different events. And of course, being busy with uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, we have eight, nine sometimes games in December. So that's, that's also busy season for us. Can you talk about the organs that you've played? Now, obviously, the one here at the Amelie Arena, it has to be tops on your list, right? Actually, it is. I have several different great instruments that I played at different, different facilities, different churches, but also at the concert halls. My favorite one is actually, besides the Amalie Arena, the organ that I played at First Baptist, Orlando is great. They have, at the Mary Queen of the Universe, the Catholic Church in organ, they have great instrument, which I love a lot too. Any really bad organs? Any duds out there? <laughs> no, well, no, I, did, I never, never had, but maybe like in a, in a small towns, it, it's about maintenance, about making them, tuning organ is very difficult. And it's a very involved process, and it's very hard to find people that would tune organ. It's a very, very rare profession right now. To be the organist is, is really, really rarity. Knowing that, have you ever considered teaching the next generation of organists? I have only two music students right now, and these are, I'm teaching piano. And those two guys are practicing. So that's, and I had some students before that were not really interested in practicing, more in video games or spending time on the social media. So I gave up, obviously. It's hard to encourage teenagers these days to do something. But of course, there are jewels here and there that you just have to find those, those kids. So Christoph, how can people hear more of your music? 
Just go to iTunes, type Christoph, K-R-Y-S-T-O-F, and type Dream Journey. That's the name of the album. And also Holiday Dreams. That's a Christmas holiday album. Our guest today has been Christoph Srebrakowski. Did I say it right? Yeah, you said it right. And I should mention also the music that I composed for hockey because I want to release this music, make it available to our hockey fans. And all portion of proceeds from selling, I want to donate to the Cancer Foundation. Beautiful. Christoph, thank you for joining us today. You've been an excellent guest and go Bolts. Go Bolts, exactly. And this is How We See It. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM's SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. Now, back to our program. Our guest today is Andres Garrigo. Andres is the director of A Father's Heart, which is coming to the Tampa Bay area on May 1st. Andres Garrigo was a journalist, correspondent, film director, founder of Goya Producciones. He began his career as a journalist and spent 30 years in Brussels working as a correspondent. His films include Fatima, The Ultimate Mystery, and An Ardent Heart. Andres, tell us about your journey from being a journalist to directing, recently, a film about St. Joseph. Was it a personal journey for you? Did you feel called by God? Well, yes. I, In fact, I was attracted by EWTN, what they were doing. I visited once Mother Angelica, and uh, I decided to start Goya Producciones because we thought that there was a lack of uh, Christian production, uh, Catholic production in films and documentaries, especially in, in Spanish. And and other European languages. So I thought it was a good idea, and we've been successful. We are now in many languages. Our productions are are seen in in many countries around the world. And now in the United States, we're going to see this uh, film on St. Joseph, which is, uh, for me, uh, a surprise, almost a miracle to, to see it in so many theaters. I think it was worthwhile to try. On a personal level, I've recently felt a tug to start following St. Joseph a little more closely, so seeing this film timing-wise has been perfect for me. And it's really a documentary. In the film, you share a story about a shepherd who is, I guess, dehydrated, and there was a miraculous founding of a spring. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, in general, you see that Joseph is very unknown. There was an appearance in the 17th century. In fact, there were two, because one century before the appearance of uh, the apparition of St. Joseph, there was one of the Mother of God. But in fact, this apparition to St. Joseph was to a shepherd who was uh, very thirsty and had no water at all, and all the sheep were almost dying. And he appeared to him and said, well, just move that rock and you will find water. And the rock was so, so big that he couldn't do it. But in fact, only pushing bit, um, the water spring appeared. So it was conceived as a great special grace. And there are many thousands of people who go there every year. And this has increased after the film was shown in France. We had an, another experience in Montreal, in Canada. St. Joseph's Oratory? And yes, it's the oratory. And uh, that many people are praying to him daily and getting small graces and bigger ones, all kinds of healings, miracles. And some of them are featured in the film. 
One of the things that I did not know is there are a lot of people who write letters to St. Joseph, and a lot of miracles have happened from letter writers, including broken marriages are healed, other healing from miscarriage and infertility, illnesses are healed. Yes, that's right. Well, in the film, we have the example of... uh, and nothing less than Pope Francis, who declares in the film that he is uh, also writing letters to St. Joseph and putting it underneath a statue of St. Joseph sleeping, which he has on his desk. I think that St. Joseph is more needed than ever. That's uh, one of the messages of the film, that we need more Joseph's presence and help because he's the father of the Holy Family. Fatherhood is under attack in all kinds of ways of life, and especially in the Catholic Church. We see many marriages are dissolving, and the devil hates God the Father, and that incites the devil to destroy fatherhood in all men. The number one sin today among many is that of impurity that was already said in Fatima. One of the visionaries received this idea that this is the the number one sin which takes people to hell. So, and we we have a good protection against the evil through Saint Joseph. Just as a reminder, AMC theaters in the Tampa Bay area are showing us, so just check online. This will be a one-day showing only. That's May 1st here in the Tampa Bay area at AMC theaters. Our guest today has been Andres Garrigo, director of A Father's Heart, and this is How We See It. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.